Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Genuinely, after I put that in the group Slack, the work Slack, and people were like, I'm just about to have lunch. Why did you say that? <laughs> and uh, after we recorded last week's episode, I went around and checked like all our flour and oats <laughs> looking and i i became convinced i could see like some of the flower moving and stuff oh dear i'm glad to have uh, introduced a new era of arachnid paranoia <laughs> to this season two episode 34 of the electronic wireless show rock paper shotguns pc gaming podcast and the only podcast you need in my opinion which is that of alice bell and i'm joined this week by nate the might muncher quietly, <laughs> damn it i just got used to goblin justice but that's better <laughs> and you can hear as well james archer is back hello james hello. how have you been i'm good i'm good i didn't had a a fairly horrible two days of Amazon priming, and then a lovely four days of EGX London. Oh, good! Did you have a nice time? It was. It was really good. Um, so I, I initially went down to basically just help out Graham on the alt controller stand. This is where we have um, a bunch of games you play with, like str- unusual custom built controllers, um, like the like Morse, which is played by tapping an actual Morse code machine. Um, so yeah, I initially just was going down to just stand around and make sure that no one jumped the queue for the bent pool table yeah. or stole the play date that we had. <laughs> um, but yeah, after, after, like, after like a few hours, it, it became apparent it was, it was just like, do we really need two people standing here? Um, so yeah, the Graham and Catherine basically said, you know what, just, just go off and do some actual games playing. Uh, so but what if, like, Ooh. the man from Game of Thrones, the Icelandic bodybuilder, had just showed up and decided to eat all the various peripherals? You would have needed I, the entire staff to, to drag him away. I was going to say, no offence to James, but I don't know if he'd be a game changer in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I don't me, know. Me, me and Graham are probably, like, the tallest people. On Team RPS. That's true, actually. You you and Graham are giants. But we've also got, like, tiny little stick arms. Yeah, but it's like when an, a giant Asian hornet, like, flies into a hive of bees and they all cling to it and then heat their own bodies until it cooks. Well, maybe, maybe if we had, like, 50 James and Graham clones, we could take him. No, uh, th- this, is, this is how we get alternative... E- um... <laughs> this is how we end up with 500 Matthew Castle clones at EGX. <laughs> We've been down this dark road. 
Nate, do you, do you would you rather fight one giant sized James or fifty duck sized Jameses? Hang on. What do you mean James sized duck? Why oh, are you yeah, only okay. giving me the option to attack my colleague? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think a James sized right, okay. duck would it have would it have his knowledge of hardware? Would that make what? a difference? It would be too precious a resource to attack a duck that can manage machines. <laughs> but how? It doesn't have opposable thumbs. But Scrooge McDuck made a fucking fortune. Oh my god. In the... Uh, the <laughs> Do you know those stores that just have, like, random toys that say pop but are not Funko Pops? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. And then like scented candles next to them and stuff. So there's one in our town and it currently has a he- just a heap of random Halloween costumes. You know, the ones that come in little bags yes. for three euro each. And one of them is an entirely disturbing adult man Scrooge McDuck costume. <laughs> which is so upsetting to look at. Can you please get it, it for me for Christmas? <laughs> it, <laughs> it's his like padded ass kind of. <laughs> like it it's his outfit and then it gives you like a massive bum <laughs> and then it just gives you like a normal like f- kind of like a flat mask for your face <laughs> the proportions are unholy <laughs> it looks like it looks like a late series criminal minds serial killer <laughs> like, i don't want that anymore can you take a photo and put like, it in the show notes? Yeah, it's like Paget Brewster would be like, he's building his own dis- despicable brood out of women. <laughs> and then this guy fucking shows up. Oh, it's awful. I'll take a photo. Yeah, I'll go find it. I've got to pick up some meds tomorrow anyway. Um, uh, I've ruined my own segue because I was going to ask, James, before we get on to the main topic this week, there's a couple of current events things that maybe are worth mentioning, mm-hmm. um, which is slightly more serious than our usual fare. The first is that uh, Just Stop Oil did a protest at EGX, which is just uh, another feature of EGX that uh, WASD X IGN uh, does not have at a show. <laughs> Uh, we have uh, reported on it, as have uh, our pals at Euro- Oh, we haven't yet. Our pals at Eurogamer have, I believe we're doing a more in-depth reportage, or planning to, hopefully. I hope this now does come out and I don't sound like an idiot. But um, they... It, in a, I would characterise maybe slightly confused uh, protest. I, broadly speaking... If I'm fine with them, you know, protesting at the Crucible, I'm not really bothered by them protesting at EGX, you know, um, whatever beef you have with them. Um, they tried to squirt orange paint at uh, the big screen showing an in-progress Tekken match. I believe it was the final. Uh, and then yes. put more paint on the two-player screens and then did a short speech where they said, you know, this is not a game or similar. Um, in a statement released by Just Stop Oil, its protesters, uh, the three protesters were arrested for criminal damage. Um, and they said, video games let us escape into new and exciting dimensions, but real world physics are about to deliver the death of billions. Um, put more carbon into the atmosphere at this point and it's game over. I maybe would haggle with the copy, but... Uh, <laughs> I would really haggle with the copy, yeah. 
Yeah, gamers cooperate to win. Uh, and, you know, we need, what they say, we need those skills to survive. Everyone must step up and join the civil resistance against new oil and gas, which, fair enough. I, you know, agree. I just really can't stand it when people who I, I ideologically agree with entirely make me cringe like that. Just <laughs> quite else to write the bloody <laughs> I would say as well, I'm not sure why they picked the Tekken tournament on the Sunday. It was much. Uh, it was much quieter on the Sunday than the Saturday. Sunday oh, is much. the yeah. Sunday is the quiet day. Um, it, it says it targeted EGX specifically because the event has ties to Barclays Bank and because oil giant Shell sponsors video game battle uh, royale Fortnite. Neither of which I don't think was specifically. There wasn't. Yeah, there wasn't like a Barclays stand. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. I don't know so, what they'd exhibit. Barclays but. actually sponsors the the res session stage, which is sort of the the RPS. This has somehow got the exact same stage. energy as like a tired uncle buying a Star Wars fan a Starship Enterprise model. Yeah, and like the guy at the shop is like, yeah, this is definitely the one he'll want. I bought your C three PO. So I don't. I I would suggest yeah i'm broadly fine with it um and it, they have maybe targeted the entirely wrong uh kind of target that's two the, the same word but you know they targeted like a community run event rather than like an actual big thing that is anything to do with either Barclays or fortnite yeah um but uh you know that happened uh, yes did you hear anything about it, James? Had you already left by then? Uh, I I'd literally just left. I think. Oh um, no! The the, the first the first I saw it was um I'm there's a there's an EGX full staff WhatsApp group which is mainly used for like operations related things, um and someone <laughs> there's the text at three forty six p.m. Security to arena now please. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's oh. like a bit of there's like a bit of confusion and then like. A few minutes later, everything is fine. Protesters, <laughs> and uh, so yeah. Well, as, as that was happening, I was like on my phone, like try, like on Twitter or whatever, searching by new, trying to find out like what, what's going on. Yeah. At EGX? Um, but then it just turned out to be a, a fairly, like a fairly tame, uh, water gun fight that was, I think, promptly cleared up and the Tekken tournament concluded normally. Yeah. So, so yeah. Like I'm with I'm with you. Like I I'm totally down with uh, fighting climate change. Less so with the hey gamers wanna avert the apocalypse. How do we? How do you do, fellow Tekken players? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like no no one no one in no one in that esports crowd um, I think was directly affiliated with Barclays or has or has the means to uh, yeah. Fight, yeah. <laughs> fight! I I will also say so as well. Just... I I admire the community spirit of the fighting game community, and they are very good at putting together community events and stuff. However, if you are one of the fighting game fans who, in response to this, tweeted either a, well, now I want to drive my car more. I was against climate change, but you doing this to the Tekken final has now made me pro climate change. Or B, <laughs> B. If I had been there, you would have caught these hands or similar. You are fucking embarrassing. 
<laughs> Smash cut to a man wheezing the words KO after <laughs> drinking a barrel of crude oil. <laughs> Don't, yeah, exactly. Don't do that shit. Come on. Like, uh, anyway, yeah, it did just kind of have... It basically gave the vibe that they didn't really understand video games or the event. But uh, either way, uh, in a more genuinely i said that was more serious than normal and i just made fun of the protesters i apologize uh for making fun of the protesters i feel like yeah your message is fine delivery needs work um obviously the uh israeli palestine um conflict has been awfully exacerbated over the past week um one thing to be aware of is that bohemia who are a developer who made or make armor 3 has warned that a lot of videos being shared on social media that are purporting to be of the conflict um, is are fake and are made in Armour 3, basically. People mm. are making videos of that they say are, you know, oh, it's a member of Hamas shooting down an Israeli helicopter. They're not... Oh, yeah, real. the helicopter ones, are, they were being faked in, um, during the... Sort of- yeah cause the ukraine business as well weren't they? yes yeah um, helicopters seem to be particularly easy to fake yes um so just to be aware of that um thank you to pc gamer for first spotting this um the developer posted on twitter or x or whatever saying with the tragic events currently unfolding in the middle east we feel it's vital to share once again our statement concerning the use of armor 3 as a source of fake news footage it is disheartening for us to see the game we all love being used in this way well, we've found ways to tackle this issue somewhat effectively by closely cooperating with leading fact-checking agencies. Sadly, we can't mitigate it entirely. They've published a guide explaining how to distinguish Armour 3 gameplay from real life. Um, it was, again, as you pointed out, Nate, it was originally created during the opening weeks of Russia's invasion of Ukraine in 2022. Um, and it is a useful document, although, uh, as Edwin has pointed out, um, it does sort of veer into self-promotion with Bohemia taking the opportunity to hail Armour 3 as, quote, a unique open sandbox platform. Um, but... Uh, that really pisses me off. Yeah. But uh, in any case, uh, we will link to this post in the show notes uh, just to, yeah, help you stay aware of that and see if it can help you spot some of the telltale stuff. It's stuff like it'll be in... Uh, unusually low resolution, you know, even lower than you'd expect from, you know, even dated smartphones, uh, shaky cam. It might take place uh, during the dark or at night. It won't have sound because in-game sound effects are often obviously distinguishable from reality. Uh, people won't be in motion because, you know, video game people do not look real. Um, that sort of thing. So stay i guess aware of that as as members of the video game community and if you spot an obvious fake maybe just flag it up just because uh i know people like my parents for example would not be able to spot that so there's really no way to segue from that into our theme (laughs) but i did want to raise it let's begin yeah let's begin So this week, as we're gearing up for Halloween, I'm not going to do like a full Halloween themed episode yet, but uh, a new game has been sort of like is out. I think it's out or coming out um, that we uh, got a, a press release about that Edwin wrote about that uh, was interesting to me because as you're aware, I love 
farming sims called Harvest Island. And the mm. the news post is Harvest Island. It's a lovely farming sim with no horrifying undertones whatsoever. Um, so it's your... Oh, I see. <laughs> yes, it's your regular farming sim. So it's got, you know, you plant turnips and you gather eggs from your chicken coop and you go scavenging. Uh, but uh, you have to also gather... I guess offerings for the gods because the gods have needs uh, it's oh. best to, it's best to read the carvings on their statues early in the morning in case they ask for something elaborate says Edwin in his news post meet their requests in a timely fashion and you'll earn a bless um, a resource that can be put towards the prosperity of your farm but leave them too long and they will ask for something else um, so where before maybe they wanted crabs now you have to have crabs and a side of raw meat where are you going to find raw meat will that raccoon do but your little sister doesn't want you to kill the raccoon. She's getting upset and now it's getting dark and your dad gets mad when the gods don't receive their due. So Harvest Island is out this week, which the developers are calling Stardew Valley But a Horror Game. Gruesome. Uh, I've been playing the demos as Edwin and so far it is enticingly dreadful. Uh, Steam user reviews also paint an overall positive picture with the caveat that this is much more of a farming simulator than a horror game and not a genre-leading farming simulator <laughs> at that. But um, I love stuff like that. And so I wanted to, to talk in october fashion about games that sort of start off normal and become something else. Mm. You know, the ones... I like that genre as well, yeah. Um Inscription, I guess, is the last thing I played that had that vibe to it. Have you played that one? Yeah, it's the card game where you're in a cabin, isn't it? Yeah, um, obviously, you know, kind of appealed to me, um, you know, as the, the resident card game addict. Uh, that was, you know, the, 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 the sort of mechanics were familiar to me. I knew there was something weird about it, but I didn't read anything about it going mm. in. I, I won't spoil it now. But I suppose... That's got horror trappings on it from the word go, but it turns into quite a different experience to what you think it will be. Um, and it's also, to be fair, more of a robust deck building game than I thought it was. I, I guess my expectation would be there would be an initial card game that very quickly fell apart to become some kind of point and click horror. Um, but no, it really actually develops the core game. And you know, kind of like how The Witcher had. Um, what was it called? Wales or something. What was the card game? What? Well, it had like a Welsh name, didn't Gwent. it? Gwent. That's it. Wales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I... So Inscription's nice because it's like a horror game with a very good functional card game in it. I was going to... Did Wales. you play Inscription, James? No, I, 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 I never did. It's, it doesn't look like my thing. Yeah, because it's not really... Like, it's... it's my thing in that I I love that you know this is more than what it seems and uh, you know this is it becomes like quite meta and yeah not to spoil it but yeah it, it I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of interested by stuff like this in an academic sense um, I I will I will like watch YouTube videos of stuff like this yeah um, of like like Doki Doki Literature Club um, or there's a game called Spooky's Jump Scare Mansion, which oh yes, which like kind kind of like <clears throat> it obviously like suggests it has jump scares in the name, but it's also it initially presents itself it's 
it initially presents itself as a very like cartoony, like almost joke horror game, but then it turns into actual horror. Ooh. Um, it's really cool. So, uh, really so cool. yeah, I, I, I'd never, I don't think I'd, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't play that stuff because um, I'm probably just a wuss around horror games. But um, yeah, I, I'm interested enough to kind of see what the developers do of it and how they pull off that transition. Yeah, so it, I, I, I agree. It's it's interesting because I I love that sort of thing, but I'm not very good at card games. I think I said before that like I'm not very good at building up long term strategies with the deck. I am I am a DPS mindset, so I'm just like number go up. <laughs> um, so I'm just really bad at it. But is is the card game and inscription a good card game, Nate? Yeah, I think a lot of the. F- this is going to sound very wanky, but I think a lot of the the fundamental mechanics are very big and blocky and don't leave a lot of room for flexibility or finesse. Um, like, if it was designed to stand alone as a card game, I wouldn't be that impressed with it. But it does start to break as the game goes on anyway. Um mm. So some of the clunkiness, I think, is is completely forgivable because it's not meant to have a meta or competitive play or anything. You know, it's meant to feel roughly like playing a deck builder. Um, yeah. So it's kind of like um, a simulacrum, I guess. But yeah, it's, it functions well enough. Um, my favourite card in it is the Long Elk. <laughs> <laughs> Which is horribly just like an elk skull with a set of vertebrae that extends off the left of the card and oh. then across the table. Oh. I really, really like it. <laughs> oh. um, d- so yeah, that's the kind of thing that happens in Inscription. Uh, does it handle the transition well into being... Well, I suppose it's quite creepy to start with, but it gets more creepy <laughs> in a different way. Well, yeah, it, it's kind of like James was saying with Jump Scare Mansion, it it shifts to a different flavour. It starts off, you know, oh, you're in an eerie cabin playing a card game for your life against a spooky uh, figure who only their creepy eyes can be seen. Um, But, you know, then one of the cards starts talking to you and and things like that. So it, yeah, it becomes a lot more gonzo than it it looks like it's going to be from the outset. Um, I'm trying to think, actually, because obviously we started this discussion with horror in mind. Can you think of many games that manage to do like shocking genre transition, but without horror involved? Because the only thing I can think of really is Frog Fractions. What does I've played Frog Fractions, but like, what does it? I've, I can't remember Frog Fractions. Frog Fractions starts as a children's math game and becomes the transcendence of the human consciousness. Oh yes, I remember. It's that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> It seems bizarre that I forgot that, doesn't it? <clears throat> um, well, it's so it's so bluntly hilarious. Mm. Yeah, no, I can't... weren't there like two sequels as well. I I do not know. No, mm. I think it's easier to do with horror. I was going to say Inscription is a Daniel Mullins games game, and all is it? Yeah, all the Daniel oh. Mullins games do that to an extent. So Pony Island is the the first one I remember playing, and. I also remember at the time people being a bit some some sort of games media you know commentators being a bit snooty about Pony Island because people really liked it and they were like, "Oh, is this the first time you've played a game that goes weird?" <laughs> like, it's a good game, 
Shut the fuck up. Um, I've never come across Pony Island. Tell me of it. So Pony Island is you are playing an arcade uh, side-scrolling platformer on a sort of CRT screen cabinet. And you are a pony and you are jumping and, you know, doing whatnot. And the levels get gradually harder. And then it becomes clear that you are playing uh, against Satan for your soul, basically. Ah, that one. That was from ages ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it's quite an old one. Totally makes sense. That's the inscription guy. Oh, you've yeah. every day. James, do you, can you think of any genres that do that that aren't horror? I, I suppose you need a contrast, don't you? Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. Um, I, I, I guess Gone Home kind of like goes in the opposite direction. It starts out being Ooh. like, ooh, haunted house. And then it's just, no, it's just red hair dye, mate. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really no, the good light, one. The, the light's flicking because of bad wiring. It's fine. Yeah, and um, it has... Places, please. That, that, that shifts, shifts tone a bit, doesn't it? I, yeah. I don't, I don't know if it, if it shifts in quite as unexpected a way. No, it just gets more depressing. Yeah. Because I suppose yeah. that at first seems like, oh, it's a, you know, a jaunty but not offensive satire on, like, post-Soviet bureaucracy. And then, no, 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 it's, 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 it's actually quite hard-hitting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if this it might sort of count a bit, but I played the demo for Buy Me, Buy Me Some Soup, um, which I mentioned last week, which is a mm. a game where you have to use like a very old, you know, eighties, late eighties, early nineties PC to try and order someone some soup. And at the end of the demo, the doorbell rings and you have to get up. And I I don't know. It just gave me the vibe that it was gonna get upsetting in a good way just because and some of the videos and stuff involved in it were very good and weird um so that's maybe a preemptive did, one. did you get to opening the door or was that no that was the end of the demo yeah so it could have been frankenstein or dracula it could have been a frankula yeah <laughs> actually can we just settle this is um a frankula is that a frankenstein made from bits of dracula's or is that a Frankenstein that's been bitten by a Dracula? I was thinking a Frankenstein made of Draculas, but I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a Drakenstein. <laughs> uh, James, tiebreak? <laughs> <laughs> What's a Frankula? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're all werewolves. <laughs> uh, the, I don't know. Well, what if a a Frankenstein gets bitten by a werewolf. That becomes uh, a Wolfenstein. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Video games! <laughs> uh, no. Um, I suppose it is easier to do it with horror as an ingredient, even if it's the reverse you gone home, just because mm. you need a con trust what would you would... do it with nate oh a city builder actually um i've been i've been absolutely mainlining uh, against the storm which i'll i'll chat about and then what we've played um but i've been thinking a lot about you know the universally understood city builder mechanics you know like supply chains of things and kind of like you were talking about with harvest was it harvest island um yeah 
the idea of because you know when you play a city builder it'll take you through a, a number of tutorial towns and the first time we'll be like build four poverty shacks well done and then by the eighth mission it'll be like supply 19 units of candied grapes you know to the elite district while you know fulfilling religious needs for four different types of beast people you know or, or whatever and it would be as those things you need to do become more complicated it would be quite good to start slipping in some really dark things with the same absence of justification as the others so you'd have to arbitrarily provide like spiced wine to this district and you know glazed ceramics and bone totems you know and then <laughs> you'd start worrying about who needs the bone totems and before it's too late you know you've 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 got a load of occult cannibals living in the city. <laughs> That's a good one. I love make that. That's good. I like that. Because that'd be like, you know, the invisible hand of the market, but it's also the invisible hand of Dracula. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, what about you? What would your what would your switcheroo be? I don't know. I'm trying to think of one that wouldn't be horror and it's really difficult. Well, put it like this. Okay, if you were making like a Resident Evil clone and wanted to take it in the the most surprising direction possible, where would what road would you swerve onto? Cuz I I would love to see like a a real stock horror game that becomes an absurd farce. So kind of the same principle as the original Scream movie. Um, I can think of lots of movies that have had a real sort of meta laugh at horror tropes, but I really can't think of many games that have done it. Yeah, I'm trying to think as well. I'm, I yeah, I'd maybe do because I, I love d- detective games. I'm trying to think, but like a horror detective game is very obvious. Um. Oh my goodness, imagine a survival horror game where halfway through it's revealed that you're just an actor in a film being made by a real, like, Kubrick. Well, that's just a... (laughs) that's an episode of Black Mirror. That's um, Yeah, but then he'd turn out to be Dracula. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll stop spamming the Dracula bit. I've had my fun. That sounds similar to um, Old Gods Rising, which is a game I really enjoyed where you are uh, notionally a consultant who is called to a film set that is uh, filming a horror film. And it's a Lovecraftian themed horror film um, taking place in uh, or filming in a weird sort of old university um that is empty for the summer and you turn up and there's nobody there like there's no film crew but all their stuff is there and you go around the the whole time you're only communicating with people via a two-way um walkie-talkie you know um and the whole time you're never sure if you're seeing real monsters or real creepy spooky stuff or if it's a film set or if it's a big prank on you kind of thing. It's really good. Oh, wow. That kind of sounds like it's, in in a strange way, got Firewatch vibes. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. But, like, 
Because I love the way they played with uncertainty in that. I thought that was going to go really dark. Like, obviously yeah. it does in some ways, but I thought it was going in, you know, I thought it was going to go horror rather than sad. Um, they they did a really good job of obscuring the twist they were going to take, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't want to say anything more. No, true. We're just sort of going that's, into the That's the problem with this topic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's sort, what sort of twists would you build into a genre twist? Would you build into a game, James? I'm trying to think. Um, there, a game I keep thinking of is um, Spec Ops: The Line because that starts out as um, just like a military shooter, and then gets this kind of like psychological horror, like not like full twist, but like flavor to it. And something I something I kind of like is, um, yeah, put like putting what's normally like a power fantasy into a situation where you know, you are increasingly powerless. But again, that's but again, that's just horror. So I don't. So I don't yeah, know. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. Um, do you do you know about the um, the text adventure I failed to finish? What's that? Uh, I started writing a text adventure game called Big Mike Lunchtime's Business Training 95. Okay. Um, And the idea was it was a scratched CD-ROM found in a desk drawer in a condemned office block in Milton Keynes. And it was like mid-90s business training software. And you'd start doing it uh, and it would start... It would give you all these role-play exercises with incredibly obvious multiple-choice answers. Um, but if you started doing secret things, you would start getting other options unlocked. And basically, the the backstory to it was uh, a sort of a horrible business demon called Big Mike Lunchtime had encoded himself <laughs> within the CD to avoid being exorcised by the business. Um, and he's trying to coax you into performing a ritual in real life that will will summon him to do business. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd never finished the game, so um, it's just an idea I had, really. No, oh, it, it could be an interesting way to develop the Big Mike, Big Mike lunchtime character. Well, yeah, the, I'm, I'm aware. Of, the, I'm aware. I was aware of Big Mike. Yeah, he's got a whole uh, extended cinematic universe these days. He does, but, doesn't um, he? <laughs> I've got a mug with Big Mike lunchtime on. Oh my god! <laughs> it was made for me by when I left um, my life as a trade magazine publisher. Um, my colleagues found one of my desk doodles and had it put on a mug. So there's a mug with Big Mike Lunchtime, like holding up another businessman, <laughs> like he's tiny, <laughs> the size of an ant, and squinting at him as he drinks his coffee. It's very good. If you do say so yourself. <laughs> oh, their mug was good. The, the design was middling. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think I have an idea. Um, oh, yeah. So. Did you guys play uh, Daisy? Yeah. Yeah. So th- th- this comes from this comes from uh, a forum post I remember reading about how to balance like the bandit playstyle uh-huh. because um, so in, in in Daisy like the easiest way to get like gear and stay topped up on food and drink or whatever is to just kill other players and take their stuff. Um, this is obviously like incredibly unfun 
for anyone <laughs> for any for anyone except the people who do that. So yeah, I remember reading in like 2013 or something, um, like just random gamers brainstorming how to, I I guess balance uh, banditry, and uh, one 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 person suggested having like they start seeing things, like they start seeing. Fant- like phantom players who aren't actually there, and um, I would I I wouldn't I wouldn't do that because that would be if if we're like trying to stay from horror, I wouldn't do that. But what I what I think I do is I I I have it so that as they kill more people, they are the next time they log in, they are like very quietly put on a server with like a lower player limit. And if they keep, and if they keep, if they keep, and if they keep killing people there, then they are then put onto another server with lower player limit, and so on and so on, until, unbeknownst to them, they are play, they can only play on an empty server by themselves. And oh that's some Twilight Zone oh. bullshit. I love that. And so they'd have to like, yeah, it's kind of this is kind of like their punishment. Like I guess they could still do. Um, there is like I guess kind of like gentle farming mechanics in Daisy into like you can grow food and that's a different way of staying alive. But I guess they'd have to, yeah. It, it's kind of like railroading into accepting that life and for them to just be alone in this world they've created. What like, about in order to earn their way back up to successively more populated servers, they yeah. have to make friend effigies out of meat? And like, once you make one, you serve it with one other person, and then you become like this mad one, god. And then one of the meat effigies disappears. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, what about if you you made like a PvP arena shooter, like an Ape Legs, right? And then there was a a secret optional thing to find like a group of NPCs who were uh, like a resistance group who want to end the death games and if enough of the pvp players do the the optional side things then then enemy npcs you know working for the totalitarian murder games government start coming in it becomes gradually pve cooperative and you storm the the enemy you know, fortress and take down. That's really good. I love take that. down the boss who is Dracula. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I tell you, another thing that would be fun would be um, if game. And someone must have done this, and I'm probably going to show my ignorance in not knowing. But you know, at the end of game twist, where it's like kids playing a video game, but actually. They're piloting drones on the other side of the galaxy, genociding an alien race, and it's all very upsetting. Like, that, where you are playing, like, some real simplified RTS, you know, and it's, it it seemed, you know, like a derivative Command and Conquer clone or whatever, um... But then you're pulled away from the screen. You're talking to like a military officer. Oh, and you realise you're just controlling like an awful colonial war elsewhere in the civilization. Like that that would be quite a mean thing to do to players. Jeez. But uh, I can't think of a game that's done it. And it would be quite an easy thing to do. No. Uh, so write, write in if you know um, which game has obviously done the Ender's Game thing that I failed to know about. 
Indeed. And uh, while I'm here, thank you to the listeners who have emailed in suggestions for awesome games and pirate games for Nate. Yeah, that was mega handy, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, thank you very much. And what a segue I've set after myself, because let's talk about the games that we have been playing this week. Uh, James, what? Yes. You were at EGX. Did you play anything good at EGX? I played a bunch of good stuff at EGX. Um, the re- the rest zone, which is where all the indie stuff lives, felt particularly massive this year. Um, and had a load of good stuff. My favorite was probably a game called Billy Bust Up, which is a <laughs> 3D... <laughs> you play as a goat. Um, which is... <laughs> Sorry. Which is... <laughs> Which is a bust up is so good. <laughs> it's a it's a three D platformer that's inspired by like animated Disney musicals. So the You're bulk of the demo, so many amazing things. <laughs> the, so the bulk of the demo is a fairly like genre typical in terms of like platformers run towards the camera chase scene, um, like you know, yeah. Crash Bandicoot, uh, where you're being pursued by this gigantic shadow creature. But it's set to this very upbeat, very catchy musical number where he's singing about all the ways he could kill you. And the <laughs> lyrics are tied into the actual physical hazards that you have to jump around and dodge in this chase scene. So when he sings about like blowing you up with dynamite, a load of explosive barrels appear. And when he sings oh, about, that's amazing. And when he sings about like sicking alligators on you, it spawns a bunch of alligators <laughs> that so start good. chasing you around as well. Um, so besides the song being fun in itself it adds this like really f- good rhythmic quality um it reminded me a bit of the musical levels in rayman legends where you make jumps and collect orbs or whatever in time with the beat uh billy bust up is not a rhythm action game where you have to like match match a beat to do well like uh, a high fire rush or a uh, crypt of the necro dancer but it does have that like really close melding of music and action, which I found really enjoyable. For some reason, the way you've described it makes me think very slightly of Cuphead as well. Um, oh, obviously, that had yeah, a very, very, I, very specific aesthetic. But I, I haven't, I haven't played Cuphead. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was talking to uh, people from Eurogamer later, and like, they were like, "Oh yeah, like in Cuphead." So yeah, pro- probably. Um, uh, I also really liked uh, Resistor, which is a Super duper fast post-apocalyptic racing game. Uh, it's as non non simmy as it's possible for a racing game to get. Uh, you earn like boost by doing jumps and flips, and you can blow up enemy cars by basically driving up alongside them and doing an <laughs> aggressive donut, which <laughs> which you just crash into them and it, their car detonates immediately. Um, so it's part so it's part of like this this mad racing game, but it's also supposed to have this almost Mass Effect 2 style relationship building aspect. Uh where in between races you can talk to your crew and like the people you live with on this oil rig and over time make friends with them. And then that in turn unlocks upgrades to your car. Oh, I thought you were gonna say you could fuck the cars, because <laughs> <laughs> That well, would have been quite a twist. Well, <laughs> Gameway, so it's actually a harem game about cars. It's a family show, EGX. So, I... <laughs> uh, so I, I didn't actually get to see any of this like talking dialogue stuff in the, in the EGX demo, so you might be able to romance the car. I don't know. 
but the dri- the driving is really bloody good. It just does not want you to slow down at all. Like every every corner is designed so you can either go through go through it flat out, or you can just do this like massive ridiculous drift that drops the camera right down next to your car to show just how sideways you are. Um, and there are ramps everywhere. Uh, you have like two separate buttons for flipping your car on command. Like that just says flip- a lot. I flipping it. Like just flipping it sideways, like it's a, a Dark Souls dodge or something. Um, and yeah, even do even doing that attack donut move doesn't really slow you down at all. So yeah, it's just it's it's, it's nice. I, I don't think I've played a game that's or like a racing game that's kind of all about you. Yeah, go fast, wreck shit. Since like maybe Burnout Three. Yeah, it used to be like the the idea of the sort of fighty racing game was absolutely massive in the nineties. You know, with the Carmageddon, etc., and um, was it Twisted Steel. Yeah, um, well, I, I like how this is like melee car combat. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I've never really been into. I've never been. In, I've never been into vehicular combat games, which is just a car with guns on top. Um, this is a bit more slam bam ramo. Yeah, yeah, get, yeah. It's like get in there. Oh, that's fun. I like that. I swing your car. I like, yeah, <laughs> more racing games. If they were more like, you know, this is just designed to be awesome instead of realistic, then I would play more racing games. Yeah. Like, I'm a rock and roll racing. No, Blizzard's uh, unsung classic from I think. 1993. Oh yes, I've heard of that one. Yeah, I didn't play it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's basically the experience of playing rock and roll racing. <laughs> oh, did anything Hell else yeah. jump out from EGX, James? Uh, yes, I, I enjoyed playing uh, a game called Pine Hearts, which is very much in the like a short hike vein of cozy. Like very small scale Metroidvania kind of exploration games. Like you get you, you're basically just going around a campsite and you're finding uh like you need an axe to chop down a particular type of tree and then that opens up like new routes around. Uh, and then yeah, so it's kind of, it's it's a bit like uh, a short hike, except it has this like nostalgia focus because at some you're basically visiting this like wood as an adult and at some at certain points you find somewhere that makes you have kind of like a flashback to when you were visiting that same place as a kid with your dad and you you kind of like explore the same explore the same area but it's styled as like a child would remember it so it's got like crayon drawings of trees oh. uh well well like well like regular trees would normally be and then by oh, cool. Ex- so does the art style fundamentally change? Not, not fundamentally. No, it's just, um, I guess, like the aesthetic of certain, for want oh, of a better really word, objects or assets, if we use a technical term, uh, changes. Uh, but yeah, and then by exploring those, you kind of like unlock your own memories in a sense, and then that is also kind of like playing into the Metroidvania thing, where oh, I need to remember how to like push down a tree. And then you can, and then once you've like explored that memory, you get the ability to push down trees and you know explore more. Oh, that's uh, cute. So yeah, it, it, it's cute. It's nothing like groundbreaking, but it was like, yeah, super, super very sweet, very cozy, um, very relaxing. 
Well, that's the know. opposite yeah. of the experience that I've had this week with what I've been playing, but in a good way. Um, no. I've been playing World of Horror. Uh, I will not talk too much about the build that I've been playing because I'm playing it. For is it literally called World of Horror? It is, yeah. yeah it's... Is it like World of Tanks? But, <laughs> but uh, like, he, he can be a Dracula. He, he can, can be a Dracula. <laughs> uh, it's out in uh, early access and has been for a little while, but um, it's hitting 1.0, I believe. And um, it's a sort of, you know, uh, Junji Ito, the uh, horror manga artist who... Oh, he did my favourite manga ever with the, the horrible fish. Yeah, that's him. Um, and <laughs> it's sort of in, it's influenced a lot by his work. You can tell just by looking at it. And then there's also sort of a bit of Lovecraft because it's got old gods as well, and a little bit sort of like a a really unforgiving eighties uh, RPG, or sort almost a text adventure, but not really. Um, you play a a young person whose town has just like a lot of horrible shit has started happening in it and you need to solve five cases which are sort of randomized each time you attempt to run uh and which are just weird things happening in the town so it might be like uh a janitor is kidnapping the swim team and turning them into mermaids like in tusk <laughs> um and, or uh uh, someone's attacking you know it's a lot of the sort of Japanese ghosts uh, turn up that you might find you know folklore creatures oh, and ghosts like in um, it's the big skeleton in it I have not encountered the big skeleton and I've encountered the lady with scissors um, I don't know I'm very sorry I'm very culturally ignorant because I cannot remember the names of uh, these said ghosts but um, there are also just uh, people doing weird things um one of the cases is going to like a folk festival in the next town and it's like a big cult thing. Um, there are also different endings to them. So there's the replayability factor. Like with the janitor, maybe you uh, fight him and it's got weird turn-based combat that's uh, quite fun, but a little bit obscure. Um, but maybe you, I don't know... Uh, fight him and win or you you don't you aren't strong enough to fight him when you encounter him so you uh knock an oil lamp over and that burns part of the school down and then for the rest of that run you cannot go to certain parts of the school because burned down so the things you do can affect the world state and also each time you attempt the game it will have a different old god that you were trying to placate and that will have different effects on the game as well. So maybe it'll make the water go horrible so you can't take a bath to try and relax and get some of your, your stats back. Stuff like that. Um, Is it the sort of thing that encourages exploring and replaying? or Because I imagine something like that would make me quite anxious about making decisions in case I cut off future options for myself. But if, you know, sort of have another go kind of mentality, yes, maybe not. Yes, it would be have another go because each is quite difficult. You're basically like, it's the same town each time and it's you have to try to yeah solve these five cases and then with each of those cases you get a key to the lighthouse and then you open mm. the lighthouse doors and you go up and 
I've just realized I can talk about it because this is going to come out after the embargo. But um, you have to get to the top of the tower of the lighthouse and go through different floors and then defeat the old god at the top. And if you don't, then the town is destroyed. And it's very difficult and you will die. I say very difficult. It is very unforgiving. It's quite easy to die, but it's also not hours and hours each run. So the idea is There's not a huge amount of repetition involved, yeah. So there, there will be repetitions. So like, you know, you might run into the same cases again, but you can try and find different endings or approach them in a different way. There might be different randomized events. So it's a sort of dry stuff, you know, that like hmm. um, one thing you can attempt to do in combat is to perform a sort of ritual, which will be a combination of uh, five bows and claps. And you just have to try doing like, okay, I'm going to do bow, bow, clap, bow, clap. And then it'll go, oh, you think you got two of the things right. And you just have to keep trying, basically. Uh, stuff like that. That is pretty old school. It's pretty old school. I'm enjoying it. It's a little bit janky in, in some places, but uh, it's good. It's very, it's very what it is. Like it doesn't feel very creatively compromised at all. I can also see it being very marmitey. Like you're either like it or you won't kind of thing. I think it's good. And it does sound more interesting to me than a lot of things in its genre. So yeah, that's what was it called again? Sorry, World of Horror. World of Horror. Yeah, excellent. Remember, because you can be a it's Dracula. Really just a town of horror, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, true. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a maybe a little bit confused because uh, it's got like an an entry, like a first case that you can try uh, as like a tutorial, but then it also has like another tutorial in the main thing. It's a, so it's a little bit unhelpful, but um, it's also unforgiving, but kind of easy to fail at if that makes sense so yes i have been enjoying it um what have you been playing nate uh i have been playing one game as i said earlier it's uh, against the storm which is um it feels like someone's had a big think about Frostpunk, um and and wondered how they can make a game with some similar vibes, but very different mechanics. And I think they've done very well indeed. Um, it is a city builder. Uh, it's a fantasy city builder. You have several types of people who can live in your cities, including lizards. Uh, so that that's good. <laughs> All right, Oprah, um, fucking hell. <laughs> and, you're, and you're in a world of uh, permanent rain. Uh, it's your classic fucked fantasy world. Um, with one very bad weather condition that you're trying to deal with. And in this case is uh, a big case of the Soggies. Um, so there are several seasons. Uh, and like in Frostpunk, you know, the big tents all oh, survive the storm bit. Um, that kind of happens to you every year in Against the Storm. Um, and you have to burn extra, extra fuel to stop everyone from crying uh, and stuff like that. And then... The other unique, the, well, the unique thing about it is rather than making one city, you know, building up till it's perfect, your the world is wiped clean by the storm every decade or so. So in the, you know, the, the periods of several years in between the big storms, you've got to take a caravan out into the wasteland and you're leaving behind um, 
a chain of smaller towns as you go because the further you get out from the hub you have to retreat to at each storm the greater the rewards for building a settlement there so it's really interesting you're like okay do i spend an extra year in this settlement and build better trade links with my capital or is there not enough time left to the big storm that it's worth doing that and i'd better just forge on and try and get a better reward from settling at the next place so there's some really interesting strategic decisions um, connected with that. And there's also, it removes a lot of the decision paralysis and sort of blank page syndrome um, from the, the, the sort of city builder template. Because in many cases, you're only going to be at a location for 20 or 25 minutes of game time. And you're just trying to throw up a functional settlement that can produce a shitload of planks and send them back home, for example. And I think that's, you know, that is all really new stuff uh, and really exciting. It's early access, um, which is the bane of all city builders. Uh, but I trust this one to, to get there. Um, it's already feeling pretty feature complete. I don't know how close they are to the, uh, the end of their roadmap, but um, it's a strong recommend. So there's, yeah. not, there's not much like early access jank? No, not at all. Um, it's not bugged out at all. Um, I haven't yet come across a, a sort of a this feature will be implemented later pop-up or Ooh. anything like that. Uh, yeah, there are some systems, you know when a big patch has just landed and it adds a system to a game that is cool but doesn't feel like it really fits in with the rest? Like, there's a whole system for collecting different types of rainwater to power buildings which feels really, really cool, but I haven't, I haven't, the game hasn't really made me bother with it yet, which leads me to suggest it's feature implemented, but not entirely bedded into the, the sort of broader rhythms of the game. So definitely one that will get better in time as well, I think. Okay, I, I was sort of a bit um, hesitant to try it because I was a bit scared of the storm. <laughs> element of it which i know is the whole point so well yeah it's weird because it's it, it's very atmospherically done um i there's no combat in the game but it really makes you feel there will be like it's it's a fully pacifist experience which is very odd because even like you know events which involve villa villagers dying essentially will just sort of quietly send them off the map um it's got a really oddly non-violent ethos which is which is kind of lovely, but it just makes the storm this constant oppressive thing sitting on the horizon. And yeah, well, like I say, it kind of, it takes that element from Frostpunk of just like weather that bullies you huh. uh, and implements it in a really different way. It's cool. Oh. And there's lizards. And there's lizards. Uh, very is there a Dracula? <laughs> uh, there might be a Dracula. I'm holding out hope. <laughs> holding out for a Dracula. <laughs> it's raining low poly Frankensteins. <laughs> Very quickly, James, is there anything else from EGX? I quite a game in the a couple of games from the Left Field collection, um, which is which is kind of like yeah the 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 more offbeat part of the Red Zone. Um, one of them one of them is just called Comet, and it's like a it's a horror tinged visual novel where. You play you play through it and like it's clearly like missing chunks of dialogue, but even so even so like the it 
the sentences form actual sentences. It's just ah. there are like big gaps in the words. But like that's what you have to play off the first time you play it. But then as you you get you can get to an ending in like five minutes. But then at, when you replay it, like more of those chunks are filled in, and so it gradually like adds more and more context and yeah backstory to you know your interactions with like the one person you're speaking to that's very cool uh, so that was, that was interesting there was another game which is called judero and it is a uh action adventure game um inspired by scottish mythology um and it uses like stop motion animation so all the Ooh. all the characters are basically I, I, I guess maybe like either photographs of or maybe free or like maybe 2D scanned images or something of like actual figurines and models um like on on the on the main on the main guy on Judo you can see like his leg joints and his arm joints and he's clearly like a bit of a an action figure uh type thing um I the 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 one the one the one thing I'm a bit nervous about admitting is I don't know if it's meant to be funny or not because ah. the <laughs> in, in some ways like it's very funny like you are initially followed around by like a float a pink rabbit floating on a cloud giving you like sage advice and a lot of the a lot of the villagers you meet are kind of like horrible abominations of like melt like deformed plastic <laughs> painting it's like i don't i don't like nate you might have seen a youtube video called fin your paints which is like a yeah. <laughs> 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 yes so fin your fin your paints is a collection of um extreme close-up photos of war of warhammer 40k models that have been painted with very thick paint and as such have just the most appallingly malformed faces and eyes the space marines with sort of bucket wide grimaces oh and God. eyes like quivering fist sized lychees I love yes. them <laughs> I, I want everyone to do their warhams like this this is great and it's amazing it's a legit style and yeah a lot, a lot of the a lot of the characters in in Judo look like that so even as they're speaking to you in a very like straight faced manner giving you tasks and quests and whatever it just, it just was a bit funny. And I don't, I don't know if it was meant. I don't know if it's meant to be like deadpan comedy or not. But yeah, it. I enjoyed it for that reason. I, I I'm sorry. I'm too. sorry if you. I'm sorry if. I'm sorry if the Judo developers are listening to this and that wasn't their intention. I'm sorry. Let's move on. And have a good day to wear hard. James, what's going on in hardware at the moment? Yeah, so I'd like to draw our attention to a recent FCC filing, FCC being the Federal Communications Commission, which is a regulatory body in the US. Uh, this is for an <laughs> as yet unannounced device named the Valve Steam Deck Model 1030. Now, the current Steam Deck's model number is 1010, so what this basically suggests is that Valve have submitted a new Steam Deck model for regulatory approval, and that it will have at least some sort of new Wi-Fi and Bluetooth module, because the FCC specifically deals with products that use like wireless communication. Um, otherwise, however, it's a bit of a mystery what 
exactly this is because mm. it's almost definitely not like a Steam Deck two, right? Because okay, Valve Val- Valve engineers and designers have said many times, um, including to us directly on RPS, that a next gen Steam Deck with like significantly better performance uh, would take a few years to produce because they they don't see the technology as being where it needs to be in order to make like a sufficient jump. On the other hand, this FCC filing doesn't necessarily mean that this is that this new model would only have something boring like a new Wi-Fi chip. That's the only that's only mentioned in the paperwork because the FCC specifically deals with communications. Um, it could also have things like a better display or a better battery or new speakers and be more of like a general refresh rather than a whole new device, a bit like what Sony do with their like slim versions of the PlayStations. So, yeah, it's a it's it's kind of it's a bit of an intriguing mystery at the moment. Um, so, with the caveat that this is all technically rumor, uh, I thought it would be fun if we all have a guess at what this device is and what's different about it, and then if it turns out to be a real thing that Valve are really releasing, then we can come back on a future good day to wear hard and see whose prediction came the closest. All right. Okay. So okay. okay. So I'm I, well known for my accurate predictions. <laughs> <laughs> so I I think besides the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth stuff, it will basically be the the Steam Deck again with a nicer screen. Because as much as I like my Steam Deck, um, and this is true, like especially if you played on like an Asus ROG Ally, then you can see that the display is a bit dull and wet, and that's probably like the thing that's most that and like the battery are maybe like the two things that are most in desperate need of an upgrade. Mm. So I don't think it's going to be like a massive, yeah, it's not going to be a massive overhaul. I think they're just going to like swap in a couple of parts. Like I guess, I guess a bit like maybe more like the Nintendo Switch OLED. If we if we're doing a comparison, yeah, that's that's my that's my top prediction. Okay, uh, I I'm going to predict something sensible as well, so that Nate can go third, and I'm gonna say it will have <laughs> uh, detachable controller doohickeys, more like a switch. Oh, like the um, like the Lenovo Legion Go. You mean? Yeah, indeed, like the, the Lenovo Legion Go, where you can play uh. it in an arcade as your friends gather round in admiration. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I- uh, Alice, you have a Steam Deck, right? I do. do you, have you ever wished, like, oh, I wish my friends could get around and appreciate? No, of course <laughs> not. The Steam Deck is for playing games uh, in your pants. It's for goblin on, mode. It's for goblin mode, yeah. It's not for going out and being social. <laughs> uh, well, let's, see, let's see if Valve agrees. Nate, yeah, what, yeah. what's your... I think it's, it's going to come with a terminally ill monkey... Um, with a Neuralink chip. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> as, as long as you can, because Elon Musk, as we know, only experiments on terminally ill monkeys. Yes. Oh, can I ask as well, is Valve officially partnering with Elon Musk on this, or is Valve just going to buy a job lot of dying monkeys once Job Musk- lot of dying yeah, monkeys. Yeah, that's it's, what I thought. Yeah. It's entirely... Yeah, it's it's like called the Gabe Pipe or something. Um, <laughs> it's got its own name. Uh, the monkeys are slightly less ill as well, 
Um, there maybe even is a chance of recovery, but it's as long as you can keep the monkey going, you can play it by thinking. Wow. So the monkey's actually the peripheral. Monkey yeah. peripheral. All right. I love that. So you have to really look after the monkey, get a little bed. And, and like I say, actually, Terminal Eels too bleak. I think Steam are nicer than Elon Musk. They would just use very sick monkeys. Um, <laughs> and so you do have a chance to nurse it to health. But here's the thing. If the monkey is completely healthy, the link won't work. <laughs> so you have to leave the monkey a little bit ill. And, and that's Munchausen syndrome and it's not cool. So whatever happens, you're not going to be morally comfortable with yourself. Right. Okay, let me just write that down. Munchausen. <laughs> How can we portmanteau that? Munchausen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid you've got Munchausen. God. <laughs> Nate Cassandra okay. Crowley, they call him. <laughs> Doomed to make accurate prophecies that no one believes. <laughs> I'd be so upset if I end up being right. <laughs> I care about animals, really. No. <laughs> do, do do we think there'd be backlash at all to an updated Steam Deck coming out less than two years after the first one? Do you think people who bought the original would feel like hard done by? No. It honestly, feels longer than two years. It feels like they've been around forever. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, there might be a bit, but it would be quite weak. Like a sick monkey. <laughs> like a Left 4 Dead 2 boycott. Yeah, yeah indeed. I, th- <laughs> I think there's an understanding with any, you know, where there's a sudden breakthrough and there's clearly been some sort of technology that has, you know, made handhelds an exciting area of development. And again, I think when something mm. becomes a hotspot like that, you just expect to to have an obsolete model pretty quickly if you're an early adopter. And, you know, we're not even talking about early adopters now, really. Like, a lot of people have had the things for sort of 18 months plus now. And I just think it comes with the territory, doesn't it, if you like new shiny things? Yeah, yeah that's true. Well, we'll, recon- we'll reconvene in maybe a few weeks or a few months, or maybe never. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and see if it is detachable controllers or Neuralink monkeys. <laughs> All right, that just about does it for this week's episode of the Electronic Wireless Show. We did not have a Tower of Jocularity this week. And as always, when there isn't a Tower of Jocularity, I think we have more time than we do. So it's a bit of a longer episode. But um, thank you so much for joining us for this season two, episode 35, which I think I erroneously called episode 34 at the top, but it was in fact episode 35. Um, all that remains now is for us to very quickly give some recommendations because every week we recommend something that is not a video game. So James, what are you recommending this week? Uh, I'm absolutely going to regret admitting this on a recording, but I've been watching and hugely enjoying Love is Blind on Netflix. Um, if, if, you're, if you're unfamiliar with this, it's a reality show in which uh, single men and women meet each other behind a curtain essentially and then within a i think like within a week or so decide if they want to marry any of them <laughs> and then they have like an and then they have another like two weeks to actually see them and marry them and then at the end of the season you see like you you, you go to their wedding and you see whether they say yes or no at the altar and it is absolutely like 
totally manipulated, edited manipulatively, like has this kind of horrible attitude towards relationship and relationship building, but at the same time, it is completely captivating television. Hmm. And that is out of left field. And yeah, for that, for that, for that reason, I've been yeah, ma- basically like mainlined uh, season five, which is uh, which is like literally just. Uh, literally just finished the last episode with um, air last night, and have also watched season one in full, and I'm, I'm going for it. This is like back to front now. So not the sort of thing I would have expected you to be into, James. I, I know. I know. I, I think Wait, it's, it's a deeply honourable recommendation. <laughs> Every week you come here with like some cool chip tune shit or some organic mayo, well, ba- and then this week you're basically like- what. Basically what. <laughs> Basically, what happened was I was just doing some ironing, and my girlfriend had it on, and I was like, "Oh, what's that crap you're watching?" And then I started like, then I started having like interesting arguments, and I started like <laughs> rooting, like rooting for people and thinking, "Oh, oh that guy's a jerk." And it just this was it like pulls the time I in. got into EastEnders for five years because <laughs> <laughs> my mum wouldn't stop watching it, and like just being in the room enough made me give a shit about Phil Mitchell. There you go. That's strong, oh, strong. God. I think Phil Mitchell just got married to Cat Slater. One of the Mitchells, anyway. I thought, you, thought you'd said A Cat. <laughs> yeah, it's Halloween themed. <laughs> this is my wife, Tibbles. <laughs> anyway, uh, this week I'm going to recommend another book. It's called Murder in the Family by Cara Hunter. It's another crime book. I am nothing if not predictable. This one, though, is a bit different. It is basically the script of a Netflix show. <laughs> um, so the idea is that uh, this guy, Luke Ryder, died, you know, 25 years ago or something in his home in London, and no one knows who done it. And a, the, the book is the seven or eight episodes of a a, a netflix a streaming service show basically um called uh i can't remember what the show was called but um it's like six experts and they're all sort of discussing the case and so the book is divided into these episodes and it's the script of them and it has you know the stage directions and stuff and you know like interviews it, so it's not like set up like a traditional book i think it does it very well uh mileage may vary because it's sort of like well, why what's why you know <laughs> why not just write the book but um you can rip rip through it quite quickly um and it's very fun and it's something a bit different and i've enjoyed it a lot there you go nate what are you recommending very simple one for me this week but very heartfelt um is soup time uh it's that time of the year i don't make the rules um but i do make the soup quite a lot of it <laughs> um and i made a really nice um well actually no 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 i worked together with with my wife to make a nice tuscan soup the other day with sausages and lots of cavolo nero and white beans but the thing that really made it uh, which ashley taught me uh and i'm very excited about is just grating parmesan slowly into the soup um, as it cooks, yeah. uh, just does astonishing things to a stock, especially if you're doing something, um, what I'd call a pale soup. Um, it's, you know, I think it'll be lost in something if you're using beef stock or something like that. 
Um, but something quite vegetably or chickeny uh, or beany, like yeah, parmesan just really, really, you know, uh, punches above its weight, and it's pretty weighty stuff. So yeah, Jolly cheese good. in your soup. Cheese in your soup. I'll take it. I made uh, Alfredo pasta sauce the other day, and that is just hot cream with cheese in it. <laughs> it's great. It's a real time, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, listener, for joining us for this ep- uh, season two, episode 35, the electronic wireless show, Rock, Paper, Shotgun's PC gaming podcast, and the only podcast you need. But if you need a bit more Rock, Paper, Shotgun, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, X, I guess, um, TikTok, and now Blue Sky, I believe. Uh, just search Rock, Paper, oh, yeah. Shotgun. Yeah. And you will find us on your social medias of choice, uh, at least while they last. And you can also join the discord the link is in the show notes where you can chat about the podcast but also about games in general you can find people to play games with you can have a grand old time you can email us suggestions of autumnal games and pirate games for nate and uh you know shorter games i believe james did a a little call out for a while back or get you know games have a, a genre twist in them where they flip reverse it at podcast at rockpapershotgun.com but for all of your PC gaming needs just go to www.rockpapershotgun.com but for now it is goodbye from me Alice it is goodbye from James Archer goodbye and it is goodbye from Nate the might monster Crowley <laughs> mighty might don't let the arachnids bite <laughs> I thought you were just going to say might over and over again <laughs> <laughs> You can you can bite the arachnids, just don't let the arachnids bite you. <laughs> That's the trick. That's what they don't want you to know. Uh-huh.